Well, good morning, River City. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, grateful to get to join you off of worship this morning. Uh, looking forward to our time together in God's Word. Uh, but if you are new or visiting, just especially want to say welcome. Glad that you would join us. Uh, we'd love to get to know you, help you get plugged in at River City at the community here. Like Becky was saying, one of the best ways to do that is to check out a small group. Uh, small groups are, they meet on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of the week, and we'd love to have you get connected. That's one of the best ways to do. So come find me afterwards or some of the people that you've seen up front. We'd love to just get to know you, help you get plugged into the community here. So uh, we are in the middle on uh, Sunday mornings here in the middle of a series as we begin the new year that's all about identity. And the reality is, is that all of us have those questions. We wrestle with questions throughout our lives about our identity and purpose. We ask the questions about who, who, who am I really and what defines me and what am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? What really matters? And we ask the question about where we look for our, our value and our identity and our worth and our sense of significance. And as we started the series, we saw in Colossians chapter 3 how the way that the Bible answers those questions is altogether different than the way that our world answers those questions. Instead of looking inward to find and then define ourselves like our culture tells us to, the Bible says that the way that you figure out who you really are, the way you find the true you, who you were always meant and made to be, is actually by looking upwards at Jesus because it's through him that we see him demonstrating not only who we're made to be, but it's through his life and his death and his resurrection that we're actually empowered to be the people that he calls us to be and the people that he made us to be. And we saw in Genesis 1 and 2 how on the most foundational root level, who God makes us to be, the identity he gives us is as his image-bearing representatives, which means that, that as people we're at to act as mirrors that reflect his nature and his character into the world. That's the very basement-level identity of who we all are. But instead of actually receiving that identity and living in light of it, we all choose to, uh, we choose to manufacture and cling on to our own self-made identities. And what happens? is that because we do that, we fail to image God rightly and we fail to honor his image in others. And it's at the heart of what sin really is. And so we not only need God to uh, give us an identity, we need him to redeem us. And that's what we see happening in the gospel is that through Jesus, what happens is God begins to put our mirrors back together so that we might, through faith in him, increasingly over time, uh, begin to reflect and image him as we were always made to do. And so we see that we're image bearers who, who are being redeemed. We saw as well in First John chapter one and two, the identity God gives us is, is that, we're, that we're forgiven as well. That, that in Christ, God pays the penalty our sin deserved, that he absorbs all of God's just wrath for our sin. And so our identity is not just as people trying to make up for past wrongs and bearing God's image, but rather as those who are forgiven. And so we're free from guilt and shame and condemnation and we're set free in a new identity we were given as forgiven image bearers to live the identity God gives us. And we saw as well that we're not just forgiven image-bearing employees of God. We looked in Galatians 3 and 4 last week and saw how we're God's adopted children, right? And that through faith in Christ, we have this new status and a new relationship with God where God's not our boss. And we're not employees, but we are adopted and loved children. And God's given us the same legal and relational status as Jesus himself. The problem is, is that all too often, even though we have the status as sons, we we live like hired servants and we're characterized by lives that are characterized by religious duty and obligation, always trying to prove ourselves to God rather than resting in who he says we are and who he made us to be as his adopted children. 
And you see, and it's that relational aspect of the identity we have in Christ, that relational aspect of who God says we are, that's at the heart of the next facet of our identity in Christ I want to talk about this morning. And, and it's that God calls us in Christ, we'll see, we're going to see in John 15, that God calls us in Christ his friends. We're not only beloved children of the king or merely his valued and commissioned image-bearing servants. As extraordinary as both of those statuses are, what we see is that in Christ, God takes it yet another step further and he calls us his friends. As we're going to look at John 15 this morning, what we're going to see is that Jesus not only defines what friendship with him looks like and means, but he demonstrates it for us. And it's through friendship with him that our identity is transformed and our friendships with others are transformed as well. And so I can't wait to show that to you. So let's pray and then we'll dive into God's word together this morning. God, thank you for your word and thanks for our time together. And I'll be honest, I'm tired this morning and my thoughts are elsewhere and I need you, Jesus, to uh, refocus my attention and to energize my heart. Um, yeah, God, I, I, just, I don't have anything to offer in these notes that apart from you has any ability to accomplish anything. And so, God, I just ask that you be gracious this morning to cause the reality of our status as your friends to be good news to our hearts. God, cause it to shape us and in, cause it not to transform only our relationship with you, but our relationships with one another. And so we need you for all of that, Jesus. We cannot accomplish any of it on our own. And we're so grateful that whenever we ask you to do what you, all, what you already want to do in us, that you're so glad to. And so we ask, God, would you meet us in your word? Help us to see the identity you give us as good news and help it to change us. God, so we ask all that for our good and for your glory, we pray. Amen. All right, well, this morning we're going to be in John chapter 15, uh, verses 12 to 17 this morning. It begins this way. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me. But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, that you would love each other. Now, last week we talked about this incredible reality of the identity we have as God's children through faith in Christ. And if that reality wasn't amazing enough, this week what we see is God takes it another step further and he calls us his friends now, I don't know about you, but uh, my kids are starting to get to an age where they're fun to be around. Uh, in the beginning, when you have kids, you're just kind of keeping tiny humans alive, right? And it's just, it's, it's good, but it's, it's taxing, right? But especially my daughter's at this age where she's just fun to be with. And as your kids grow up, what happens is your relationship with them starts to change and you start to be able to share more of your heart with them and you start to just be enjoyed to spend time with them. Before Christmas, I took her out on a date. We just went out for lunch and talked and hung out. We wandered through Michael's and just spent time just being together. And it was just fun because she's getting to this spot where she's not just my daughter, but she's becoming a friend, right? Someone you enjoy being with and you, and you care for. And the reality is, is that Jesus here, the idea that the God of the universe, John, uh, John tells us in the beginning one, that Jesus is the eternal, omnipotent creator of everything. 
that he would call us his friends? That is incredible. Not just his children, but that he would call us his friends. That's incredible. In the Old Testament, only Abraham and Moses, these kind of giants of the faith, are referred to as, as friends of God. And yet here we see Jesus extend this privilege to all those who would believe in him and follow him. You see, in the question, though, is you got to ask is, what does it mean that Jesus calls us his friends? What, what is that reality about? What's the significance about? What does that really mean? And as we look at the passage this morning, there's, there's three key ways that I think Jesus both defines and demonstrates what his friendship with us looks like and how his friendship with us transforms us and our friendships with others. And the first is simply this. We're going to kind of work backwards to front uh, in the passage this morning, and you'll see why at the end. But it begins this way. In, we see that Jesus' friendship with us is characterized by an openness with us. Verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because servants, uh, a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, he says, I've called you friends for everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You see, one of the biggest differences between servants and even children and friends, especially in the ancient world, is that, that servants and children are told what to do and expected to obey regardless. It doesn't really matter what the motivations are. It doesn't really matter what the reason is. It doesn't really matter the why. It's, you, just, you need to be told what to do and you need to be able to obey, especially in the ancient world. You see, but friends of the king, while still bound to obey because he is the king, are they're, they're given this dignity and this honor of being brought into the king's confidence, being let in on his thoughts and his motives and his purposes, even, the, even his emotions. In other words, a friend, what you see is that a friend is someone who is characterized by opening themselves up to you, by sharing their heart with you, by letting you in to who they are. You see, in fact, the, the Hebrew word for friendship is the same word, it's a very similar word that's, that's used for the word secret, right? Because a lot of what friendship is is about letting people into those hidden, those kind of secret places in your heart that you don't let everybody else into. And that's incidentally why you can't really have like a, like a huge amount of really good friends because it's not safe or wise to just like bear your heart to everyone all the time, right? That's, that's not safe or wise. But it's also one of the reasons why those true friendships are so valuable and profound, because what you realize is when you open yourself up to others or when others open themselves up to you, they're not doing it with everyone. And they're entrusting something about themselves to you and you realize the weightiness of that and that, the matters of the, that. Right? You see how incredibly dignifying and honoring it is because you, you precisely because you know they don't do that with everyone. And what Jesus is saying here, he says, I, I give you the dignity of being my friends. I call you my friends because I have opened up to you. I've let you in. I have shared my very self with you. You see, he says, you're not just a servant or even children just expected to blindly obey. He says, you know my business. Everything the Father has told me, I've shared with you. The very most important relationship I have opened up to you. I have shared my very self with you. I've made myself known to you. And it's so important that you see this because verse 14 says, he says that you're, you're, my, you're, you're my friends if you obey me. But the reality is, is that obedience, it certainly characterizes being friends with Jesus. But that's not what makes you his friend. You see, servants and children, they still obey, but they're not friends. It's different. See, what happens is it's Jesus' opening up of himself. It's his self-revelation of himself to us. That makes us his friends. 
But it's not just openness and self-revelation that's the only thing that we see that characterizes Jesus' friendship with us. We see as well in verse 13 that his friendship with us is characterized by a sacrificial commitment to us. It says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. It's the very message of the gospel, right, is that Jesus was so committed to his friends that he was willing to be put to death on their behalf before he was going to let them down. There was nothing that could cause him to turn away. There was no burden he wouldn't bear. There wasn't an offense he wouldn't forgive. See, the reality is is that not many of us are going to find ourselves in a situation where you are being asked or required to lay down your life for as an act of showing your friendship to others, right? The reality is that not many of us are going to be in that situation. But the truth is, is that any real friendship is characterized by sacrificial commitment. Any real friendship is characterized by that. You see, you're all, we always are laying down things for the people we really care about, for our true friends. We often will lay down our schedule, your time for them. You might lay down your conveniences or your preferences or your priorities. You might sacrifice your finances to be a good friend to others. You, we're always sacrificing something for the people that we really care about. It's one of the things that really shows our, our sense of true friendship for others. One of my very best friends is a guy named Zach and he was a roommate of mine in college, and we've remained close friends uh, today, till still today. But I think more than anything, my friend Zach really epitomizes what this aspect of friendship really looks like. I cannot begin to list all of the ways that he has sacrificed his time and his priorities and his preferences and his schedule and his finances to be a good friend to me. I could go on for a long time. It has been a lot. And the reality is that he doesn't do that begrudgingly. He's not trying to do it so he'll get something back from me in the end, although I want to be that kind of friend back to him. He does it gladly. And the question you've got to ask about those kinds of friends, about that kind of friendship is why? What motivates that kind of a sacrificial commitment from one to another? What motivates that? And more importantly, you've got to ask the question, what motivated Jesus to be that kind of a friend to us? And you see is that Jesus' sacrificial commitment and his openness to us as his friends, what you see is verse 12 says that that is an outworking of his love for us. See verse 12, he says, my command is this, to love each other. He says, as I have loved you. In the there's a lot of different words in, the, in, the, in Greek for, for what love is, whether you're talking about the kind of love between family members or between spouses, but the word that Jesus uses repeatedly here in this passage to, the, to describe the kind of love he has for his friends is the word agape. In the Greek, it's the highest, purest kind of love. It is uh, characterized by selflessness and devotion and service of others. It's a love that's not based on perceived worthiness or based on reciprocal benefit. It's a love that is rooted in seeing the intrinsic value of another. What happens is you see that Jesus' friendship to us is characterized by that kind of love. And his commitment to us and his openness with us is an outworking of his love for us. He's not open and committed to get something from us. He's not flattering us with the title of friends so that he might be able to manipulate us to do something for him. He chooses to befriend us, not because of what he gets out of it, but for our good. 
And the reality is, is that it's through his selfless friendship towards us that we are actually transformed. It's through friendship with him that we're transformed. And, and it happens in a couple of really important ways. First is that Jesus' friendship to us, it transforms our vertical friendship with God and our vertical relationship with him. You see, a, a servant does just what the master asks and then he goes home. It's a business relationship, Right? And if you're asked to work overtime, then you better get paid some extra, right? But that's, and that's all that happens. That's the way a lot of people try to relate to God, right? It's a, in this kind of business kind of relationship. They just want to know what does God want them to do and the parts of their lives that where he, they think that he's watching, where they think they're on the clock, they look very busy with religious activities. But you see is that their heart is not changed. You see, religion, it makes you very busy for God. Makes you very busy for him, but it doesn't cause you to develop a relationship with him. It doesn't cause you to develop a friendship with him. And here you have to hear this. That's what God is after. You see, he's not just looking for servants who will obey him when they think they're on the clock. He's looking for friends who will follow and obey and love him out of relationship with him. You see, Christianity is not about obeying rules, about, but about entering into a relationship. Because relationships what's what changes your heart. That's what God's after. You see, when you see that the God of the universe has befriended you with a selfless and sacrificial and committed openness to you, what happens is it transforms your relationship with him. And you stop worrying about, what, about like what you have to do for him. And because he's your friend, what happens is you, you become, instead of being full of duty and obligation to where God invites you to, into life with him, instead, as his friend, what happens is you're full of joy because your friend's inviting you into life with them. And even if that's costly, and even if it requires sacrifice, and even if it requires vulnerability, you know that it's good and it's honorable. And so our friendship with Jesus, it transforms our relationship with God, our vertical relationship with him. But you have to see this. It is our vertical friendship with God that transforms our horizontal friendships with people. It is your vertical relationship and friendship with God that transforms your horizontal friendships and relationships with people more than any other thing possibly can. You see, what Jesus is trying to say here in this passage is that friendship with him is not just a model. He's not just modeling what good friendship is, right? Jesus' friendship becomes the source of our capacity for friendship, right? He says, as I have loved you, as I have befriended you, that's how I'm calling you to relate to me and to relate to others. That's what I'm after, what happens is, is that what happens is, is that when you are befriended by God and that relationship transforms your relationship with God, it changes your relationships with others, and it begins by being able to have right expectations for your friends who are people. You see, the reality is that no human friend will be ever to will ever be able to truly fulfill that longing that each and every one of us have deep in our souls, that longing to be befriended, to be known, to be received, to be cherished to be held that we look for in friends no human friend can fulfill those desires really for you and you're going to spend a lot of your life being very bitter and upset 
when people endlessly fail you and let you down and are not the friends you wish they would be until you realize that the friend you really needed is the one you already have. And that the friendship you are really longing for underneath all of those other pursuits of friendship is a friendship with God himself the only one who can't actually let you down, the only one who has actually been ultimately faithful to you, the one who opens himself up to you, not to manipulate you and get something from you, but out of love for you, reveals himself to you. And it's only when you see that he is the friend you are really longing for that you will ever actually be able to have right expectations for your friends here. You see, when you see that he's been the true and ultimate friend you've always longed for, what happens is you'll, able be, <laughs> you'll be able to appreciate and be grateful for the friends that you have without needing them to be your ultimate saviors, without needing them to be the cure for your loneliness, without needing them to be the thing that fulfills and satisfies your heart and your life. You'll be able to depend and rely on them, but not ultimately. And so when they inevitably let you down, it doesn't need to be a cause for that friendship to end because they weren't the ultimate friend you needed anyways. And you'll be able to hear from them, but you won't be ruled by their opinions of you because you have a friendship with one whose opinion is immeasurably more valuable. It changes you. You'll be able to have the right expectations for your friendships with others. But it doesn't just change your expectations for friendships with others. You see, friendship with Jesus enables you to actually become a good friend. It's the thing that actually enables you to become the friend that you long that others would be for you and to you. It enables you to be a friend who is open and vulnerable, one who reveals themselves to others, who is not always cagey and hidden and always beating around the edges, but one who openly reveals themselves to others and, and not to be the one who just sucks everyone's attention or to manipulate the situation or to gain everyone's approval, but a friend who reveals themselves and opens themselves up out of a, out of a care and concern and out of a vulnerability of good for others. And that's possible because what you see is that you already have a friend who has seen everything you could possibly reveal to anyone else and has still chosen to love you. And his opinion matters more. And so it frees you to be able to reveal things about yourself and to be honest about your weaknesses Here's the reality, church, is that you can be impressed by someone's strength. You can have a lot of admiration for people's strengths, but the way you really connect with people is when you're honest with them about your weaknesses. You all know that to be true. The people who you are closest with, the people you are most, have most intimate friendships with, they're people who have been honest with you, not just about how everything is going great, but the ones who have been honest about their weaknesses and their need for help, their, their insecurities. You see, and what happens is, is because you have friendship with God, you're not afraid of, of revealing something about yourself that others don't know, but you're also not afraid of them revealing something about you. Because again, God already has seen it all and befriended you in love for you. And so you become a friend who is open and vulnerable. You also become a friend who pursues others, not based on what you get out of it, but for the good of others. You see, Jesus' friendship towards us motivates us towards a sacrificial kind of others-focused view of friendship rather than just a purely self-seeking, self-serving view of friendship. 
Because what you realize is that Jesus didn't call us his friends when we were impressive, when we were influential, when we had something to offer him, when we really were just like vibing with all of his things that really mattered to him and were really on the same page about everything. No, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, think of what you were when you were called. Think about what you were when Jesus called you his friends. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many influential, not many of noble birth. He says you were unimportant, uninfluential, and that's when Jesus befriended you. Not, to, not because you had something to offer him. Likewise, we see that God chose to love Israel and make them his people not because they had some special worth or value, but it says in Deuteronomy 7, simply because he chose to love them. Church, should not our friendships with others, if we have been befriended by a God like that, should not our friendships with others increasingly be characterized by that attitude? Where we don't just ask, what am I getting out of this? But we see the invitation to pursue others in friendship for their good. A couple weeks ago, Hannah Blabach was sharing a story, uh, her testimony about her and her husband Nathan are starting a new small group. And one of the things she said just really struck out to me. She said, she said, because Jesus is the best and perfect friend, he actually helps me to be a, fr a better friend to others. He, she said, I don't have to earn his friendship or be interesting enough to him. I don't have to worry about him leaving me because I'm not bringing enough to the table. She said, God is helping me to see people as worth befriending, worth getting to know, because he made them, even if they are very different than me. And so instead of shying away because I don't have a lot in common, she said, God is challenging me to move forward, move towards people in friendship, because he has moved towards me. Church, that's what happens when the gospel changes your heart. That's what happens when friendship with Jesus transforms your friendships with others. You become someone who's characterized not just by pursuing self-gaining friendships, by someone who is pursuing at cost friendship to others. And lastly, what we see is that friendship with Jesus, it makes us friends who are full of grace. It makes us friends who are full of grace. Here's the reality. True friendship is hard. Acquaintance, easy. Long distance check-in every once a year, easy. Not a problem. True friendship is hard. Because here's the reality. People always let you down. Always. People always let you down. Spoiler alert, so do you. We are all imperfect friends who let others down. And our selfishness gets the best of us and we fail to show grace to others and we pursue our own interests rather than seeking the interests of others. All of us are like that. Every one of us. And if you have not experienced Jesus' gracious friendship to you, then you will never be able to be the kind of gracious friend that your friends need you to be to them. You will never be able to do it. story I like to read with my kids. It's kind of like a children's rendition of um, the passage where Peter denies Jesus, and it's, the title of the book is called The Friend Who Forgives. 
What you see throughout the story is that Peter was one of Jesus' very closest friends. He was in the inner circle of those who Jesus entrusted himself to. And Peter absolutely fails Jesus. Just absolute faceplant. He denies even knowing him multiple times. And Jesus, in his true friend's deepest hour of need, Peter runs the other direction. And what would have been so easy for Jesus to do is just to be like, all right, Peter, you had your chance. In fact, you had multiple and you blew it. You have proved you are a terrible, absolute worthless friend. I'm out. You had your chance. We're out. We're done. It's over. Nice try. I guess you're not the one. But that's not what happens. After Jesus' death, Peter's gone back to fishing. And what you see is that Jesus comes pursuing him. Not in anger, not in vengeance, not trying to get even with a friend who let him down so gigantically. But he comes full of grace for his friend. It's only when you see that you are the same as Peter. That when you are given chances to be Jesus' friend and to stand for him, you run the other way. And yet Jesus has not disowned his friendship with you, but has come running after you in gracious forgiveness that he might renew and restore a friendship that you destroyed. It's only when you see his gracious friendship towards you that you'll be characterized by the kind of friend who is gracious and patient and long-suffering with friends who endlessly let you down. That's the only way you become that kind of friend. And here's the truth. You needed God to be that kind of friend to you. You needed him to be that friend to you. And he wants to empower you to be that kind of a friend to others. And the only way you do it is when your friendship with others is transformed by his friendship to you. So I want to ask you this morning, is Jesus your friend? Is that who he is to you? Or are you just a servant of a boss? Is he your friend who you have a relationship with? Or is he just a king that you need to serve? You see, if he's just a king, then all you get is religion. And it's empty and dead and worthless and pointless. But if you see that he has befriended you and called you his friend and enabled you to be his friend, oh, that changes you. And you start to live a life out of love and joy and gratitude for him. And your life gets fueled by a love for him because you see his love for you and his friendship towards you. And it enables you to be the kind of friend that Jesus has been to you, to others. And just like you needed his friendship in that way, 
There are so many of your friends that need that kind of friendship from you. That they need to see that there is a God who befriends us in the way we all need and who empowers us to be the friends we long for. You see, our friendship with each other and with the Lord is not perfect, but his friendship to us is. It is unwavering. It is vulnerable. It is open. It is rooted in love. And as we close our service by taking communion, that's what we're remembering. We're remembering the outworking of Jesus' friendship to us. That his friendship towards us, it led him to allow his body to be broken and his blood to be shed and poured out so that we might have the kind of friend and be the kind of friend we need. His friendship to us transforms us. So communion doesn't make you right with God and it doesn't save you and it doesn't change your status or your standing with God. Faith in Jesus is the one thing that does that. And if by faith you have put your trust in him, then Jesus says you are his friend. And friendship with him motivates our love and obedience towards him. Lives given to him. And so if you've trusted Jesus and believed the gospel, then during our time of worship, I want to encourage you, go back and take communion. There's a table on the left and on the right. You can dip the bread in the juice and take communion that way, but do it as a remembrance and as a joy. But if you're here this morning, and Jesus is just a far-off king who you think you need to obey, but it's not a friend, I want to encourage you, hold off on taking communion. God is not after religious rituals and going through the motions. He's after the heart of a friend who will love him supremely. And the only way you do that is when you see that he did that for you first. And so this morning, if for the first time you see Jesus as a friend and receive his friendship, then go back and take communion. Do it in joy. Wherever you're at this morning, I want to encourage you to talk with God. See your friend or just a far-off king who you need to obey. And how is the good news of his friendship to you transforming your friendships with others? It's good news this morning. I pray that it might be good news for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for our time together in your word. God, I just confess to you, it is much easier for me to relate to you like a king who is worthy of being served than a friend who is worthy of being loved. And I need you to change that in my heart, God. God, cause the good news of your friendship towards me to fill me with a love for you that overflows in a life of, of commitment to you and a life of openness with you and with others, a life of, of love for you, God. And so none of that's possible without your grace and without your spirit rooting those truths deep in me and deep in us. And so we ask, God, that you would do it, that you would cause the reality of your friendship with us to be good news that transforms our relationship with you and our relationships with others. God, for our good and your glory, we ask it. Amen.